relation to the Amalekites. Remember what they did to you along the way when you came out of Egypt, when you were weary and worn out. They met you on your journey, attacked all who were lagging behind. They had no fear of God. And then God says to you shall blot out the name of Amalek from under heaven. Do not forget. So this the thing about the Amalekites. Now you have to realize that this is is with and in relation to the other things that are going on. And and the other things mentioned in this chapter. And that within the 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 temptations, the things that that we deal with, that the Amalekites are a threat, a threat to us, even as these other things that are going on are a threat to our faith and a threat to our lives. So we're going to, to look at this chapter and, and just bring it together around even the, uh, the various other events. I want to just explain some of the other things that are going on here with, uh, that Craig read. First of all, uh, the verses 1 to 3, it talks about a flogging, flogging the guilty. And it says, you might be tempted, those who have the authority to flog others, might be tempted to overdo it, to be unjust. And so... To resist that temptation, God's word is no more than 40 lashes, that it's in the presence, in his presence, in the presence of the judge, and so that the person who is being punished is still a person, and that personhood of the person as an image bearer of God needs to be respected. And so justice needs to be done. But the person should never be degraded in the eyes of other people. The person, what they did was wrong. But the punishment is to restore. Now, along with that, we have to recognize that who else do we know? Who do we know most? Like there's no one given here who was given 40 lashes. There's no... uh, explanation given in the whole Bible, who do we know who was flogged? It was Jesus. And so Jesus was flogged, not, not in the presence of Pilate anymore. And he was beaten severely. But in our eyes, he is not degraded. In our eyes, it raises him to the place of being willing to suffer anything for our sake, even the injustice of a cruel world. So right here, we see the temptation for injustice to be done. We see Christ bearing that injustice. And we are reminded not to be tempted in ourselves, to, to degrade others, to, to look down on them and to destroy them in the sense of, of taking away their God-given value. Do not muzzle an ox while it is treading out the grain. 
People are tempted to do that so that a little bit of grain is saved. But we are once called to care for the creation, care for animals, and allow the ox to take a little grain while it's doing the work. The story in, in 7 to 10, where you have a widow, her husband has died, and her brother-in-law is supposed to uh, marry her and fulfill the duty, so her line continues Verse 7, if the man does not want to, he is tempted not to. He is thinking of himself. He is thinking, there's no advantage in it to me. And what story does that remind you of? We have no example here, but we have an example in the Bible, right? We have the story of Ruth. And we have, in the story of Ruth, we have the city gate which is mentioned here. She shall go to the elders at the city gate. Boaz goes, in this case, on her behalf. And when, when the closest relative refuses, the sandal is taken off, uh, the spitting in the face and the striking is not, uh, is not part of it there, but it is part of the whole understanding that the line... The line of the family, the family line, is God's will worked out in the family of Ruth, of Boaz. And this is the family line of which Jesus comes from. And so, so the sense of God's will in the family line, God working according to his promise in the family line, God, God wanting each family in Israel to be part of of his line, the line of, of God's care and God's provision and God seeking to provide in, in every way possible. We see that lineage too of God's love in Jesus that calls us into the family of God and continues to make us children of God. And the temptation of 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 those who don't do that, of the one who was not ready to do that. Uh, verse 11 and 12 uh, takes, takes the story of the lineage, the importance of the lineage and the family line. And it's actually a very, very um, uh, striking, the power of the widow in those verses. Verses 7 to 10, where the widow can take, uh, has great authority over, over the person, over the body of the, the brother-in-law and can insist that, that the brother-in-law marry her in order to, to fulfill the line. So, so there is a, a picture of the great authority, the great power of the widow to do that. And then the next story is, well, the temptation might be to go too far. And so in, in the fight between the two men and the wife reaching out and seizing the man by his private parts is, is to cut off his line. 
The risk there is that he will not be able to reproduce. His line will be cut off. And before God, then his place before God will be cut off. And so, so God's place, God's will, God's line is of first importance. And, and to stand in the way of that is not to be tolerated. So for her own advantage, uh, she might be tempted to do that. But we have to resist the temptation. And then 13 to 16. Again, in terms of the different measures, the different weights, where it was very tempting for merchants to have two sets of weights. And when they bought grain from the farmer in the field, they would, they would have it so that they would use a weight that was... Uh, just a, a little heavier to measure one kilo of grain. And so then they would buy the kilo of grain, but it was actually more. And then they'd have another set of weights when they sold the grain in town to the residents. And then they would have a, a, a one kilo weight that was a little less than a kilo. And so, so they would be making, making, and, and yeah, nobody would know the difference. They would take advantage of the situation and they would get ahead. But it says the Lord detests anyone who deals dishonestly. So don't be tempted to deal dishonestly. And we saw that just lately with Volkswagen. The temptation to deal dishonestly was too great, and they were caught, rightly so. So, so in, in all of this, you have quite a number of examples of different things where people might be tempted. And then all of a sudden, it turns to Amalek. All of a sudden, remember what the Amalekites did to you. What? Why? <laughs> Why is he suddenly talking about the Amalekites? It's, it's fascinating. The Amalekites were a people who lived in the desert area between Egypt, as the people came out of Egypt and made their way north through the Sinai wilderness, and then they came to Israel, the Amalekites lived in that very desolate desert area. The Amalekites are descendants of Esau, and Esau was in conflict with uh, Jacob, with Israel. And so there's that constant conflict coming out still. And the name Amalek, Amalekites, is to nip at the heel. And so here it is to, to attack those who lag behind. When we traveled through Israel, when we made our, our way from Egypt through Jordan up to, up to Israel... You come to that land, as the people came out of Egypt, they, they come into this wilderness area, and it is just a, a very dry and, and desolate land, the land of the Amalekites. And these, these people were, were very accustomed living there in the desert. And as, as Israel came out of Egypt, and, and from Sinai they moved into the main wilderness, 
They, they were just newly out, just newly from Egypt, a new system of living that God had given them, uh, a new leader. And, and this was the first group that they encountered, these nomadic Amalekites. And they were attacked. Exodus 17 talks about that battle. And it's the story as they are, they are moving forward and then uh, the Amalekites attack. And then Moses says to Joshua, you lead and I'll go up on the hill. And when I raise my staff, you'll be winning. And when I lower my staff, you'll be losing. And so very obvious to the people of Israel fighting below. It, it must have been something that, that, that you could see, like you could see. You could look up on the hill and, and you could tell that you were, you were winning. And then when you looked up and Moses' hands weren't up and you could tell it was, that was not good. And so the connection between God's presence, God's power, clearly, clearly demonstrated as this battle unfolded showing them that they are God's people and he fights for them when they put their trust in him. But Amalek, Amalek uh, is defeated, but it's not destroyed. And the threat is always there in that area, in those people. And that's why God says that they must be destroyed, blotted out. Deuteronomy 25, verse 19. That they have to beware, that they have to be careful, that they have to watch out as these uh, people otherwise will nip at the heels, will attack those who lag behind. What happened later on was that as Israel sought to live before the Lord. Amalek kept attacking. If you remember the story of David at Ziklag, David is, is, is living with, with his men at Ziklag, and they, they go out to war, and then as their, their wives and children and families are, are not defended, Amalek comes and attacks them. And so David has to go and rescue them again. If you think about the book of Esther and the people of Israel and then they are threatened by Haman and he is trying to get the degree that, that all the Jews will be killed. Haman is an Agagite, a descendant of Amalek. And he just has this hatred toward God's people. And so the biblical picture is always the Amalekites threatening to destroy God's people. And that's why we have to beware, and that's why the name of Amalek is to be blotted out. Now, there is, there is uh, the, the connection that we take the, the, in the context of the temptations that are here, the temptations of, of sin that can be very prevalent in us. The, the un injustice, the lashes are too much. The, the not caring as the ox treads the grain. The not uh, doing the duty of the brother-in-law to the widow. All of these things, the merchant using different weights. 
There, there is a constant attack on all of us by the evil one. And Amalek takes that picture of, of Satan who continues to attack God's people. And so it's, it's a small uh, example of that constant threat. And that's the connection to our lives. The Amalekites lived and, and raided and plundered the people. And in that constant threatening situation, Israel is told to, to beware, to, to get rid of the Amalekites. There's there's a story also in Judges, in Samuel, where King Saul, uh, the prophet Samuel says to King Saul, I want you to attack Amalek, and I want you to wipe them out. And that's in response here to Deuteronomy 25. And Saul goes out, and he fights the Amalekites, and he does not destroy them. He he lets many go. He takes the king. He keeps him alive. He, he takes the plunder for his own. Very tempting. And he gives in to the temptation. He does not do what God demands. And so Israel is still in danger. Saul is very angry. The Amalekites were not destroyed. Later on in 2 Samuel, Saul is fighting with Jonathan. It's the last battle Saul is in. And Saul, Saul in the battle, because God has withdrawn from him, he is, he is defeated, and he is wounded, and he is going to die. And, and he asks his armor bearer, please uh, kill me, because I'm, I'm mortally wounded. And the armor bearer says, no, I won't do it. And then it says very specifically that Saul, in verse 9, says to someone, someone comes and Saul says, who are you? And the man says, I am an Amalekite. And then Saul says, stand over me and kill me. So he stood over him and killed him. So Saul did not make an end of the Amalekites, but it's striking that the Amalekite killed Saul. That's the threat. If we don't stand against the temptations, the temptations will kill us. They will destroy us, our faith, our close walk with God. That's the picture of Amalek. And that's the warning God gives. Do not forget. Do not let the temptations overcome you. So the application for our faith journey in the wilderness of this world, if we think about the Amalekites as those little sins that that nibble at our lives. And, and within, after that, that, that big battle, it's, it's just, just, yeah, the, the raids, the, the smaller things 
the temptations, the things that are listed here, and that's why they're listed here, to have the two different weight, to be dishonest. For us too, if we can take advantage of someone, do we? If you are selling your old car and someone comes and asks you, what's it like? And you say, it's good. But they don't actually ask you about the transmission. And they drive it and they don't notice that you know it's no good. But hey, whatever. The temptation to be dishonest. In that way, in many ways, comes at us all the time. It's the Amalekites nipping at our lives. And then you think, well, it's just a it's just a small thing. It's not a big deal. Even when we give in to things like envy, when we when we see what others have and we think, man, that's, that's, I'd really like to have that. I should have that. And that, that, that drives a lot of our what we do. Oh, they do that. I need to do that. They have that. I need to have that. Oh, on and on. It's just this a little bit, that a little bit. But it drags you away from what? From contentment in your faith, in what the Lord has given you, and, and pretty soon, too, you are, you are drawn away from a humble, thankful walk with God who, uh, God, I want this, and I want that. And why aren't you good to me? Because I can't do this or that. And so the, the little things can just begin to drag us down and away from our faith, from our God. And two, in 1 Peter 5, verse 8, Peter warns the New Testament church. They've gone through some struggles. They are, they are just, just, yeah, through, through some ups and downs. He says to them, be careful. The devil is prowling around like a roaring lion to devour you. And so those, those temptations are constantly there. Amalek is that, that clever, subtle kind of attacking force, the enemy of our soul, trying to seduce us, trying to drag us down. Those, those are the, the thoughts behind this warning. It's interesting how... When it says here, too, um, in terms of, of what God will do, um, when the Lord your God gives you rest from all the enemies that, that he is going to give you to possess as an inheritance, you shall blot out the name of Amalek. In, in, in the, the tradition of, of the Jewish people, to remember this, the scribes, when they were getting ready to copy the Bible, when they, they had uh, the old scroll that they were, was their original, and they were 
preparing a new scroll, and they were writing, and they were getting their pen ready, kind of on a scrap piece of paper, and they, were, they had the quills and the ink, and they were dipping the quill in the ink, and they were just testing to make sure that, that the ink was running nicely, and, and however they, they did that exactly, they had their instruments and their ink. The word that the scribe would write when he was going to test the pen for the first time, the word he would write was Amalek. Every scribe, when he was ready to start doing his work, he would write the word Amalek, and he would see that it was nicely written on the page, and the ink and the pen, everything was good. And then he would blot it out. He would blot it out. And then he would start writing the Bible, the truth of God. And the thought that, that God wants us to blot out, just stand against, seek to remove all those temptations. And then on the other side, you have to remember too how God says, when, when your sins, when you fail, when you fall, when you do come before me and your sins, I have them and I see them written, written in the book, then God says, I will blot them out in the blood of Jesus. So there is a picture, too, of the reality of, of the sins that, that tempt us and that we fail, and then there is pointing to the reality of God's forgiving grace. So the warning of Amalek reminds us to stand against temptations as, as wherever, to, to seek just even in the little things, to, to seek to do what is right and good and true in all things. But when we are tempted, when we are disobedient, we still hold on to Jesus, who is our shield and defender, who comes to our aid. Hebrews 4, who knows we are tempted. He knows. But in his grace, in his blood, by faith in him, our sins are covered. They're washed away. And so as we seek to carry out this, this Old Testament command, our, our New Testament understanding is to stay strong in Jesus, to walk with the Lord Jesus every day, to say, Jesus, help me. Jesus, what would you want me to do? Jesus, help me to fight against the temptations and to be strong in you. And in our Lord, we are victorious. Let us pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word that draws us from Old Testament to New Testament to you, Lord Jesus, our Savior. We confess the temptations in our lives, and we pray that in your grace you would forgive us when we fail and that you would help us to stand against all that would hinder our living for you. Lord, we pray that especially too in the little things that can just become uh, very distracting and destructive and that can draw us into uh, things that are not honoring you, Lord. We pray that you would help us, that you would 
Keep us from temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.